<clears throat> well, today, the, this, or earlier this week, I said to Barbara, as I was preparing for this sermon, I said, so, would you like to hear my sermon? And she said, do I have to? <laughs> and she was busy. My, you know, but she was one of the short version. In fact, she knows how to speak my language. She speaks lang the right language to me because I flew for, before I met her, I was a pilot in the Air Force. So when I get speaking a long-winded story, she says, sweetheart, it's time to land the plane. You know what I mean? So she wanted the short version. So she said, just give me your silver bullet. Okay, silver bullet. So it, it says in the Bible, when Daniel purposed in his heart, he really, 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 really did the right thing for Jesus. And God wants us to dare to be a Daniel for him. That's the silver bullet. Let us pray. Dear God, may you bless us as we open up your word, and may the Spirit of the Lord be with us all right now as we study on this subject, dare to be a Daniel. Amen. I think I could put it another way. This is from Prophets and Kings, page 479, talking about Daniel, who is, his Babylonian name was Belshazzar. Then there was a, wait a minute, Daniel. We had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know them by that, right? But they are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Ariah. Okay, that, that was their Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here's, here's what the, the quote says. Among the children of Israel who were carried captive to Babylon at the beginning of the 70 years captivity were Christian patriots, men who were true as steel to principle, who would not be corrupted by selfishness, who would, who would honor God at the loss of all things. In the land of their captivity, these men were to carry out God's purpose by giving to heathen nations the blessings that come through a knowledge of Jehovah. They were to be his representatives. Never were they to compromise with idolaters. Their faith and their names as worshipers of the living God, they were to, were to bear as a high honor. And this they did. In prosperity and adversity, they honored God, and God honored them. It's kind of like the story of General Norman Schwarzkopf, who was the commander of Desert Storm. You remember him back in the 1990s? He passed away a few years ago down in South Florida, but he was a beloved general in this country. He tells the story of the first time he ever went to the Pentagon as a general. He'd been there about a week, and his commander came up to him and said, <clears throat> look, I got to go on a trip. I'm going to be gone about a month. I'm going to here, here, and India, and all over the world, and you are in charge. 
and he doesn't about face and he starts to leave. And Swarskov said, but sir, what about logistics and procurement and this and this and this? Rule 16. Yes, sir. And what is rule 16? When given a command, take charge. He starts to leave. He says, yes, sir, but what is about this, this, and this? Rule 17. Yes, sir. And what is rule 17? Do the right thing. And Swarskov said that was the best course on leadership he ever had right there. He said he learned, he also said he learned just as much from the bad officers as he did from the good ones on how not to do it. Do the right thing. That's what Daniel did. He did the right thing. Purposed in his heart. And because of that, because he was so purposed, so loyal, God used Daniel to bless not only the world at his time, but, but our world. Because he, he gave him, because of his dedication, his loyalty, the prophetic, the power of the, the prophetic office. He gave him the spirit of prophecy through signs and through symbols that we would learn the mysteries of the future all the way down to the end of time. So what are some of the things that we got from Daniel because he was so purposed in his heart? Well, we, we learned of the great world empires surrounding the people of God from his time all the way to the end of the world. And, and Daniel nailed it. He hit it right on. It, it was right there. So we got that. That was in Daniel chapter 2 and, and 7. So we got those through symbols and through figures, the world empires. And then we got something else. We got the time, timing of the two major ceremonies in the, the Jewish tradition, the Passover and the Day of Atonement. Now, these, these were festivals that they did every year for thousands of years. The Passover in the spring, Day of Atonement in the fall. But they were types. In other words, they meant something for the future. They were to be um, a part of the plan of salvation, their fulfillment in the plan of salvation into the future. For example, the, the Passover. When, when was the real Passover? They had that ceremony. What was the real Passover? Well, it was when Jesus died, right? He was the real Passover. And Daniel told us the timing of that 500 years in advance. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, he nailed it right to the year, from, as he said in Daniel in chapter 9, from the going forth of the command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. Well, that, that command was given in 457, B, 457 B.C. Unto Messiah the Prince would be 70 weeks of years or 490 literal years. And if you add the numbers up, it was exactly on. Daniel hit it on the, the date that, of the crucifixion of Christ right to the year, 31 A.D. It's an amazing prophecy. There's 365 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, Daniel gave us the time, all because he was so purposed in his, in his heart. And by the way, something interesting about that prophecy, that 70th week 
which Daniel showed us in the midst of the week Christ would be, be crucified, almost every church puts that 70th week, the last seven years, out in the future and attributes it not to the Christ but to the Antichrist. It just goes to show you how much Satan hates these prophecies in Daniel and Revelation. So Daniel gave us the time of the Passover. And then the, the Day of Atonement. What about that one? That was the Day of Judgment. Every year they celebrated that in the fall when the high priest would go from his normal ministering in the holy place of the, heaven, of the, of the sanctuary into the most holy place with great fear and preparation before the Lord to atone for the sins of the people. That was the, the Day of Judgment. When did the real Day of Atonement start? Daniel told us, told us in chapter 8. It was the 2300-day-year prophecy that leads us from 457 all the way to the year 1844. That was the year that Jesus changed his ministry from ministering into the, in the, the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to now into the most holy place where the judgment would commence. And, you know, th that's the only unique thing that Seventh-day Adventists teach, by the way. All the other things we teach are in common someplace or another with other faiths, but that is the one unique thing that we hold, that the judgment, the real Day of Atonement started in that year. And since that time, we call that the time of the end, or that period of time before the end of time, of which we have been in for 173 years which should tell us that we are living very close, maybe even hanging on a precipice of time before Jesus comes. So, Daniel gave us that. But then Daniel also gave us something else on the, on the dark side, I guess you could say, some of Satan's major things he would be doing. He tells us in Daniel chapter 7 of that great, Antichrist apostasy or conglomerate of union of state and church that would formulate back there maybe a thousand years before this judgment was to commence. And it would be a power that would actually think to change the law of God. The Bible says in Daniel 7.25, it would think to change times and laws. And there's only one command that has anything to do with time, and that's the Sabbath. And why is that so important in the days that we're living in? Because it's the one command that shows us which gods we're working. It says, for in six days, right in the heart of the fourth commandment, the Lord made heaven and earth. And so it points us back to the real reason we worship God, because he's our creator. And, and the prophecy would carry forward. It would show, and John added to it, the nations of the earth would enforce what would later become the mark of the beast and the image to the beast. Even our nation would be involved, that nation that would come up out of the earth. In Revelation chapter 13, a beast would rise up out of the earth. Most of the beasts came up out of the sea, where there was a multitude of nations and empires. But this came out of nowhere, and it had separated horns, two horns, separated powers, and it came up as a lamb. And at some point in its history, it would speak as a dragon. And there's only one way a nation can speak as a dragon, and that is if you are a superpower. And we are the only superpower. But, but the nations then would, to, to enforce this, what was called the image to the beast, it would take some 
big miracles, fire coming down from heaven. So that, that hasn't happened yet. That's in the future. But that, that would be the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate union of church and state, forcing God's people or people who simply want to worship God and obey His commandments against their conscience in worship, false worship. So Daniel gave us all of that. So we got a lot from Daniel, all because he was so purposed in his heart to do the right thing for Jesus. So how is it that Daniel got to Babylon in the first place and his friends? Well, the world had fallen into, the entire world, into false worship to false gods, except for one place, the kingdom of Israel. There was one bright spot, one place where God's people were representing the true God and true worship to the true God. And they were to be the ones to, to tell the world. The problem is they kept falling into the false worship themselves. They, remember, like Moses, he, he barely got off the, ten, the, the, the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And what happened? They were all worshiping a golden calf. So God's people were falling in. The, the pull of sin, I guess, it just affects all of us. It's kind of like a ship in the ocean. Now, I want to show you this ship here, because Barbara and I are going on that ship, so I wanted you to see it. But it looks really beautiful. Doesn't a ship look beautiful in the ocean? It looks kind of funny out of the ocean. Now, here's a picture. Look at the, what are they called? You know, the props, there's another name. But at any rate, those things are huge, aren't they? And there's three of them on this ship. And there's eight engines that power the generators that turn those propellers. And it doesn't even have a rudder because all those propellers can circle 360 degrees. So I thought that was kind of amazing. But a ship, it looks kind of funny out of the ocean. It looks beautiful in the ocean. But if the ocean gets into the ship, that's a real problem. And the worldly ocean was falling into the, into the ship of the church. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things of, of the world. And they were falling into this, and God warned them over and over again through the prophet Isaiah and through Jeremiah. And finally, God's cup had been filled up, and he finally, he said, enough. And he said, if, if you are not going to represent me and do the right thing, and you're not going to go to the world with the truth about the true God, then I will send you under extremely adverse conditions. And Jeremiah's prophecy of the 70 years of captivity came true. And now, Israel was to become a vassal nation under the great kingdom of Babylon, under the greatest and most fierce king in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, to, to his credit, Nebuchadnezzar had a good side. I mean, we see a glimpse of it in Daniel chapter 7 when 
Babylon is represented under the symbol of a lion, and it says a man's heart was given into it. So that's kind of an indication of the good side of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, for one thing, he did not try to force Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego into false worship. But he did have an agenda. He wanted to condition them in the Babylonian ways. I mean, after all, they were going to be the leaders of this vassal nation. Israel to Babylon, and it'd be go, things would go a lot better if they were kind of conditioned in the Babylonian ways and they could work better together. So he had an agenda. But what he didn't know is that God had an agenda too. Because as these people came into to the kingdom of Babylon, and God sent the, sent the best and the brightest. He also sent them those who were absolutely true as steel to the true God. And that was Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm sure many others. And one of the reasons they were so purposed in their mission to God is because they were so purposed in their prayers. I heard a preacher say, the reason... Jesus was so successful in his mission here was not because he was God. I mean, he is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. But he laid those powers aside. I mean, otherwise, how could we do it? The reason he was so successful is because he was so purposed in his prayers, just as Daniel was purposed in his prayers. And, and he, Jesus is an example to us, and he wants us to be so dedicated in our prayers. He, he was an example that the power is not on the side of the enemy. The power is on our side as we are purposed in our prayers. Let me just kind of illustrate that with the thought about, remember I mentioned the real day of atonement or judgment that started in 1844. Well, first of all, let me just read a little thought here about that judgment scene from the book, The Great Controversy. It says, we are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of the earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depends upon the course which we now pursue. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what will thou have me to do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word, especially upon the scenes of the judgment. So, yes, it's a solemn time to think about. But there's two things I just want you to, to consider as we look about something that gives us a lot of hope. And that is that, number one, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says that Jesus is our advocate. My little children, I pray that you don't sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus is like our defense attorney, right? And that's what an advocate is. He's our lawyer, our defense attorney. When God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. As we are in Christ, he sees Jesus. But there's one other piece to that puzzle. 
In John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So just think about that for a second. Where in our society have you ever seen it where your defense attorney and the judge are the same person? I've never seen it. I've even asked some lawyers if you could just show me that one place. Maybe some little town, some place where they only have one official in town, and he's the judge and the jury and the whole works. But where would you find the, your defense attorney and the judge the same person? You know, your attorney says to you, you know, I'm going to represent you, and you just, you don't have to say a thing. I will take care of everything. Oh, excuse me, I have to go someplace. And then he goes and puts on a black robe, maybe a white robe, and he looks down at you and says, my child, I have taken your place. I mean, God is on our side. Even in the judgment scene in Daniel chapter 7, that huge seat, the books were open. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's 100 million. Even in that scene, it says judgment was given in favor of the saints. This is a judgment of vindication. God is acquitting us through Christ. So is God on our side? Oh, yes, he is. And that's what he wants us to do is remember the power is on our side. We must be purposed in our person. Daniel was purposed in his prayers. And so when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he couldn't remember the dream, and he was ready to kill everybody who couldn't interpret the dream, Daniel fell into that camp. Because he was so purposed, Daniel went before the king and, and pleaded the time, and they prayed earnestly, and God gave the dream to Daniel. And here is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar was given. Nebuchadnezzar's dream showing the great world empire surrounding the people of God all the way to the end of time. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Europe. And the, and the other part of the dream was there was a stone cut out without hands. That was a divine stone that would crush the metal image and raise up the kingdom of God. And that stone, we're told in, in 1 Corinthians, rep, is Christ. That stone is Christ, that rock. You know, when I first learned this, when I learned this many years ago, this prophecy, I just became overwhelmed. I said, you've got to be kidding. That was predicted in the Bible, all those empires? I mean, we studied that in school, right? There was Babylon. We did that in school, in world history, and Medo-Persia, and Greece, and Rome. I had no idea that all that stuff was in the Bible and predicted that it would happen in the Bible. I used to tell everybody I had a book that I called the Bible. How to win friends and influence people. I said, that's my Bible. But when I learned all this, I switched Bibles. I said, I'm going to make the Bible my Bible. And if this is true, then maybe all the rest of the stuff in that book is true. I mean, I got so excited, like a bull in the china closet about the whole thing. Well, Nebuchadnezzar got excited too when he learned all this. In fact, he got so excited, he promoted Daniel to be prime minister of Babylon. I mean, that, that in itself is amazing, isn't it? I mean, here he comes. The, Israel is going down. God says, if you're not going to represent me, then I'm going to take you there. And he takes it the best and the brightest. And what happens? One of them rises right to the top. Daniel. That's an amazing story. 
God, it shows that God is in control of this universe and this world. As crazy as it may seem it's getting, there is somebody who is in absolute control and authority. And we have a loving God that we can trust and know everything's going to be all right. When Abraham Lincoln, going through all that stuff with all that slavery and everything back in those days, they asked him about it. He said, I looked up and I saw the stars were still in their place and I knew God was on his throne. So yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, he got excited about it too. For a while. Until his bad side started setting in. I guess you could say his narcissistic side. You know, I had the worst time with that name. I thought it was narcissistic. Then Lauren and some of her friends, they corrected me in no uncertain terms how it was to be narcissistic. It comes from, well, I'm, I know you guys know this, Greek mythology. The young Narcissus, did I say it right? Fell in love with himself by admiring him, his reflection in a pool of water. Wow. He must have, I, I can only imagine, this was mythology, right? He was probably surrounded by all these beautiful goddesses. And yet he falls in love with himself. That's just kind of hard to believe for me. But at any rate, that's what happened. But I suppose we'd have to say that we all have a little shot of that, right? Because the Bible does say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So yeah, we maybe would have to admit we have it. And Nebuchadnezzar definitely had it too. Right here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. These is, this is a quote from Nebuchadnezzar. Is not this great Babylon, that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Wow. My, my, my. And so what did he do? He gave us this image. He came up with this, all gold. He just couldn't bear the thought that the golden empire was going to end and, these, and the silver and the bronze and the iron was going to take over. He couldn't bear it. He just had an infatuation with gold. I guess the world has an infatuation with gold. They, they say they, they're trying to frack gold now. Or they, somebody tried it. They had to use nuclear weapons underground to do it, and so the radiation was so bad they couldn't continue it. And then they decided to change gold, change, make gold out of another element, and it worked. The problem is it costs like a zillion dollars an ounce to do it, so that didn't work out too good. But so there's a fascination with gold, and Nebuchadnezzar had it. And he commanded everybody to bow down. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Bible says, were not so careful how they answered the king. They said, oh, king, respectfully, but oh, king, we don't have to be too careful about this. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. And we know what happened. Nebuchadnezzar put them in the fiery furnace. And when he went to look, he saw a fourth being. One, the Bible says, like unto the sons of the gods. How did he know? How did he know what the real God looked like when he had been worshiping all these false gods? Well, I'm sure the fiery furnace had something to do with it. 
I mean, after all, the only thing that was burned in that fiery furnace were the ropes on Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's hands. But I can't help believing that it was also the true as blue, true as steel witness of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that helped change his heart. It's kind of like our students. I had somebody tell me, he says, you know, that book your students sold me changed my life. And I believe it. There is Holy Spirit fire in these books, just like there was Holy Spirit fire in that fiery furnace. But it never would have happened if it wasn't for the sweat, blood, and tears, and prayers of all these young people going out, knocking on doors, and the heat, and all of it. It's tough. You've got to have guts to do it. And the same thing with Daniel. And the main thing of the story is that Nebuchadnezzar, because of Daniel's true blue, true as steel witness, his life was changed. And he surrendered his life. He became a Christian patriot. He will be in the kingdom of God. The greatest king in the world was converted to Christ because of the witness of these faithful patriots for God. And that's what God is calling us to do too, to dare to be like that. We're living 173 years into the time of the end. There can't be much time left. It can only go so long. And so God is daring us to be like Daniel. So will you say it with me like we did in the children's story? When Daniel purposed in his heart, and when we purpose in our hearts, it means that we, will you say it with me? Really, 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 really are going to do the right thing for Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs>